Well, in, a, <clears throat> in Phoenix, Arizona, there is an organization called Hustle PHX. And it's dedicated to helping people put their God-given talents, skills, and opportunities to work. The founder and executive director of Hustle PHX is a man named Oye Waddell. And he makes it very clear that his Christian faith is what motivates him and his team to do what they do and serve who they serve. But Hustle PHX is not a missions organization. It's not a ministry, at least not in the ways that we would traditionally think about those sort of things. They don't recruit pastors or train pastors, and they don't find people to to send all over the world and, and send into different cultures to preach the gospel. Instead, they focus on finding hardworking people right in their own community who need things like job training or business education or financial capital to have a chance to thrive at work. If you visit their website, you'll see their mission statement. It's right there. It's one of the first things you see, and it's, it's simple, it's practical, but it's an incredible way to, to bring blessing into people's lives. They say that motivated by Christian faith, Hustle PHX encourages the creation of sustainable business ventures that affirm the dignity of people and lead to the flourishing of all communities in Phoenix. In other words, they combine their faith in Jesus Christ with the work of their everyday lives to contribute to the well-being of people all around them and in their community. They contribute to the common good. And that's the idea that I want to explore with you this morning as we continue our, our sermon series, Faith at Work. As a Christian, your work is meant to be a way for you to bless the people around you and the communities into which God sends you for the common good. Your work has a role to play for, in, the thir- in the flourishing and the thriving of the people around you. <clears throat> Now, in just a minute, we're going to take a look at a few biblical texts that will help us understand and and wrap our minds and hearts around this idea that our work is meant to bless not only ourselves, but but the people around us as well. But first, I need to make something very clear. You should always regard your work, first and foremost, as something to serve Christ and glorify God. You should always regard your work, first and foremost, as a way to serve Christ and glorify God. And that's a real simple summary of a really great sermon uh, that was preached here last week by Pastor Steve. Um, and if you, if you weren't here last week and you want to know more about this subject, I really encourage you to jump online. Uh, you can find all our, our sermons there. If you look up the one from January 27th, I believe, that'll be Pastor Steve's sermon on this idea. And uh, it lays a, a necessary foundation or, or, or a much richer kind of prerequisite and understanding uh, for this idea. Um, but all work, whatever the main thing you do is every day or every week, whether or not you get paid for it, remember that's our definition for work uh, in, in this series. Work is the main thing you do every day or every week, whether or not you get paid for it. All work can and should be done with the mindset of being done unto the Lord. That's what the Apostle Paul wanted to be sure that Christians understood when he wrote in his letter to the Colossians. This is found in chapter 3 in the book of Colossians. The Apostle Paul said, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So our work is first and foremost an expression of our devotion and our love for God. Once you have that foundation, then you can move on to thinking about some of the questions that we're going to explore today. 
What is the role of my work in relation to the people around me? In what ways do I serve my neighbor through what I do? Ultimately, what we're exploring this morning is the question that I'm sure a lot of us have struggled with uh, at various times in our life. Does the thing that I do even matter to anybody else? See, we all want to know that our work has significance and that it has significance to the lives of other people. We have this seemingly inherent desire, perhaps a God-given desire, to contribute to something greater than ourselves. We want to know that our work has, or I'm sorry, we, uh, we want to know that our work has that significance. And so nobody wants to spend the best hours of their week doing something that feels, that feels trivial, that doesn't feel like it's giving something back to others. And so the way that we think about our work, the, the way that we think about the things that we engage with in our day-to-day lives, the, the, the tasks and the toil that we have to do, we want it to be able to reach beyond ourselves and reach out to others and reach out to God as well. And so with these questions in our mind, we're going to take a look at our passage for this morning. It comes from the the Old Testament book of Jeremiah in chapter 29. Now, Jeremiah was a prophet who brought the word of God to the people of Israel, uh, who dwelt in the southern kingdom of Judah during the nation's final years before their eventual fall to the Babylonian Empire. And I don't have time to to properly or thoroughly go over the entire historical situation that that fits into this context and leads up to the passage here in chapter 29, but but suffice it to say that in the year 609 BCE, a really great Israelite king named Josiah died. And unfortunately, a series of not-so-great kings succeeded him. And one by one, these lesser rulers made personal, political, and religious decisions that eventually doomed the nation. From 605 to 587 BCE, Babylon repeatedly invaded, occupied, and eventually destroyed the nation of Judah, the city of Jerusalem, and the temple that King Solomon had built as the, one, as the dwelling place for the one true God. The Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, had more than 10,000 Israelites deported and exiled from their homeland, forcing them to scatter all over this new empire and and separate their leadership and thin out their leadership so much that they were unable to really organize it or organize any sort of a resistance or a rebellion, but they were allowed to live as long as they complicitly uh, accepted their new lot in life. And so in order to to help them adjust to these new surroundings and this life outside their homeland, the prophet Jeremiah writes them a letter. And and he's writing it to send them some advice to how to get settled in. But before we look at the letter itself, I want to first draw your attention to the interesting way that Jeremiah says who he's reaching out to, who he says this letter is really being sent to and who's supposed to receive it. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 1 and 2, it says, These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah, the prophet, sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders and exiles, and to the priests and the prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother and the eunuchs and the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had all departed from Jerusalem. All right, so verses 1 through 2 gives us another way to think about these people other than just exiles or, or people that had been beaten. Instead, it encourages us to think about these people that Jeremiah is talking to as individuals with skills and abilities and dignity. Jeremiah isn't calling on a group of broken or despondent people. He knows them better than that. He knows that he's writing to men and women who were once community leaders and religious professionals, servants, government officials, craftsmen, day laborers, skilled artisans, mothers, fathers, grandparents, and a great many other vocations and roles. 
His letter is going to be read by people who have a great capacity to positively influence the world around them. And that's exactly what he says they should do in verses 4 through 7. He says they should roll up their sleeves, commit to the place they now live, and get to work. Starting in verse 4, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles who I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters into marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. So in verses 4 through 6, God, through the prophet of Jeremiah, commands his people to do four things that I think they would have, they, that, that would have made sense to them. They would have understood these. He said that they should build homes, do a little farming, eat their vegetables, and continue to raise families and expand their community. All right, establish yourself in this new land. Work hard and live well in Babylon, just as you did in Israel. But then in verse 7, God gives another command, and I have to think this one would have shocked the people a little bit who had just moved to this new land when he says, seek the welfare of the city into which I have sent you into exile. God wants his people to live and work in such a way that the present, their presence and their productivity, the good work that they do, will have an impact on the people around them and the place that they now live. That their work, as good as it is in and of itself, will contribute to the overall welfare of everybody. And that word welfare is a translation of the Hebrew word shalom. And in this context, it has a rich range of meaning. God is directing his people to seek the peace in their new city, to create friendships, to pursue happiness, and to work hard for the well-being of all people. In his book, Work Matters, Tom Nelson describes the meaning of this passage in this way. He says, shalom, or peace, conveys not merely the cessation of hostility or war, but the flourishing of all God's creation. Shalom encapsulates God's brilliant design and benevolent desire for his good world. God's heart is that the city of Babylon might flourish and that his covenant people might flourish with it. Shalom is also God's desire for the people we work with and the workplaces we inhabit and the broader society of which we are a part. The exiles of Israel were not permitted to be obstinate or burdensome or reclusive in, these, in their new cities. On the contrary, God had specifically directed them to engage and participate in this new community and the prosperity of the place they now live. They are to, to put down roots and find jobs, raise families, do good work that yields blessing for themselves and for the society in which they now live. Apparently, it didn't really bother God that if these people were to flourish in this new city, they would also be contributing positively to the people that had just conquered them. In fact, that seems to be the way that God had designed it. In verse 7, he makes it very clear that it was God himself that sent his people into exile who chose this new home in Babylon for them, and that his expectation is now that they work hard for the common good of all. 
And just in case you're wondering if this is, you know, an isolated desire of God, if this is just the one time in history that something like this happened or the one time in scripture that we see this, consider these other examples. When God first created Adam and Eve and placed them in the Garden of Eden, he, he gave them strict instructions to work hard and contribute to the growth and the flourishing of all creation. Later in the book of Genesis, we can find the story of a man named Joseph, who, after being sold into slavery, had worked hard to contribute to the welfare of the people around him. Now, his life is filled with, with incredible highs and, and devastating lows, but ultimately, God uses him, and he uses his God-given skills and talents to both save the nation of Egypt and his family from a massive and devastating famine. There are many, many other stories throughout Scripture of men and women contributing to the common good simply through the good and hard work that they do. Craftsmen who add beautiful architecture and adornments to the temple of God. There was the man named Boaz who allows Ruth to glean in his fields. And then Ruth and Naomi not only are able to support themselves, but also to contribute to the community around them. Queen Esther uses her position of power, one that was really thrust upon her, to stop a genocide and lead a pagan government into moral and cultural reform. And in the New Testament, we see these commands continue and get applied to the followers of Christ that we are to understand that we should be seeking the welfare of the place that we live and the people that we impact every day as well. In Galatians 6, Paul reminds us that we should take every opportunity to do good for others. Christians and non-Christians alike. And in Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, it says, And let us, na- let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good for everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Paul uh, would put his own words into practice when he was living in the city of Ephesus. When he was there, he was discipling people. He was leading, leading people to faith in Christ. But in order not to, be over, to overburden that community, he actually went to work. He was a tent maker. In Acts chapter 20, he describes himself going to work and being sure that he contributed not only through the preaching of the gospel, but also through the work of his hands as well. Ultimately, understanding our work as a way to bless others is an extension and an application of the great commandment to our everyday lives. In Matthew 22, Jesus instructed that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You work hard for yourself and for your own well-being, which is good. You should definitely do that. Our work is meant to be a way that we are able to provide for ourselves and and for our loved ones. And it gives us a sense of purpose and fulfillment. And it, it does really good things in our hearts and in our lives. But it is also meant to be something that seeks the welfare of others. As a Christian, your work is meant to be a way to allow you to bless the people around you and the communities into which God sends you. Everyone here this morning has day-to-day work that has the God-given potential to bless your family members or your friends or your neighbors or your business associates, your clients, and even perfect strangers that you may or may not ever get a chance to meet. God can act through your work to bless the city of Manhattan or Wamigo or St. George or wherever it is that you're from. 
Now, at this point, some of you are probably thinking, okay, Sam, I kind of got this. I got this overall biblical point that our work is meant to bless other people. But what I really need to know is is how is this done? How does our work become something that can bless other people? How do I teach or farm or go to school for the well-being and the common good of all? I think this is the answer, and it's, it's not quite an answer that's all that easy to grasp onto and just run out and do, um, because, because it's somewhat more conceptual combined with the good work that we do. By accepting the gospel of Jesus Christ, by accepting that the gospel of Jesus Christ transforms everything about your life, including the purpose of whatever it is you call work. We can, we can move into having our work be a blessing if we accept that the gospel of Jesus Christ transforms everything about our life, including the purpose of whatever it is that you call work. In the gospel of Matthew, there's this brilliant and, and beautiful declaration from Jesus that I'm willing to guess very few of us have ever thought about applying to our work life. All right, and that's part of the reason that, that we don't is because we love to separate, you know, this is work life, this is church life, this is my friends, this is, you know, my home. We like to put everything in those separate categories. But this passage really does a- apply to everything that we do in life, including our work. And I think it can have a transformative impact on the way that we see uh, our day-to-day activities. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 14, and 16, 14 through 16, we read, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Verse 16 is like a, a one-sentence summary of the Christian life, right? It's our purpose, what God wants from us, is to do good works for others for his glory. This statement absolutely applies to all of those acts of kindness and generosity and the way we serve people and the way we share God, the gospel with those that we meet. But I believe it should also apply to our everyday work as well. Doing your work well and with honesty and integrity, and and with a desire to bless others, will allow you you to let your light shine in ways and in places that might otherwise be quite dark and devoid of any kind of witness for Christ. Dan Cathy is the president and CEO of Chick-fil-A, which I know mentioning Chick-fil-A on a Sunday is a really mean thing to do, and I'm sorry about that. Uh, you know, and so he often quotes Matthew 5.16 in a little bit of a different way. He takes the phrase good works and he replaces it with a job, with something that people do. And the reason he does this is that he wants to invite people to think about their work as a way that they can, they can shine as lights and the way that they can, they can spread their witness even further throughout their, throughout their daily lives. So he would say something like, let your light shine before others so that they may see you teach kids and give glory to God in heaven. Let your light shine before others so that they may see you mow lawns and trim hedges and give glory to your Father in heaven. Let your light shine before others that they may see you raise children and do laundry and keep your family alive to give glory to God in heaven. You and I are made to be lights in this world. Your work provides you with opportunities to do good works in a variety of settings and places that people can be drawn to. They can witness you working heartily as to the Lord, and they can see you affecting the shalom of the city in your neighborhood and in your family and with your customers and your clients. And because your good work can be seen by others, and because it blesses others and encourages the people around you, opportunities for God to be glorified might also be created. 
They might wonder what motivates you to be an honest student or, or an upfront mechanic or a cheerful waiter. They might ask you where your work ethic comes from, and, and you can tell them as they ask these questions that as a Christian, you really believe that God wants you to do good work for the benefit of others, that he wants your work, this, this thing that is good in and of itself, to be shared with other people and bless others. You don't have to be heavy-handed about this, right? You don't have to like, try, to, try to evangelism right there on the spot or start preaching to them. But even just a simple and brief acknowledgement that God, that, that your relationship with Jesus and that your, your belief in God has an impact on your work can be a way that creates an opportunity for him to be glorified. And make no mistake, every once in a while, God might give you an opportunity to, to witness about the gospel at work. And if you get those, you should absolutely take them. And I know as a pastor, it's like, yeah, that's easy for you to say. But when, in, in my life, in some of my stranger jobs and, and some of my, you know, kind of my odd jobs, I've had opportunities to talk to people about what I believe and what I think about Jesus. And those are gifts from God. Those are opportunities given to you in your everyday, in your everyday day-to-day life for God to be glorified and for your witness to spread throughout uh, the communities that you're in and the people you know. God, God has given us the purpose of doing good work for his glory, no matter what our work looks like. As Christians, our work is meant to be a way for us to bless the people around us and the communities in which we live. So this week, as you go about your work, I want you to think about how God might give you opportunities to contribute to the well-being around you. Can you extend grace in a professional setting that is usually graceless? Can you affirm the dignity of people in ways that are often overlooked? Can you do your work so well that it makes people pause and wonder what, why you try so hard, what motivates you, and what sets your work apart from others? Can you be patient where others are in a hurry? Can you be honest where others are dishonest? Can you be praying for families and businesses to succeed rather than just absently hoping that, that everything works out well in the end? You can give Dan Cathy's adjustment to Matthew 5.16 a try. Where in your life will you let your light shine in the work that you do? How can you work in such a way where the, the glory from your effort might actually be given over to God? I want to leave you uh, with two very different examples <clears throat> of some people that I know uh, that, have, that, that are, are blessings to others in the work that they, that they do. I'll start, uh, my first story, I'll start with my friends Ben and Rachel Motley, uh, who actually run a, a company, a, a few businesses in town. One's uh, Arrow Coffee Company, another one's called Pool House, and they have a catering business. And uh, Ben and Rachel are, are wonderful, hardworking, sweet people. And to all you small business owners out there, I get a, a small glimpse into the work of, of small business through my, my friendship with Ben and Rachel. And I just want to say thank you for all of the hard work that you do and the, and the sacrifices that you make. Uh, your, your work is hard and it is good and it contributes to, to what makes Manhattan so great. So thank you for, for all that you do. As much as I love being a patron of, of Ben and Rachel's businesses, and as much as I love their great coffee and the great food that they make, it, it, those aren't the aspects that impress me the most about what they do. What I've always admired and been humbled by is their vision for what a business can and should be, a way to serve people, to treat them well, and to create spaces in our communities that can be enjoyed by all. They just want to, they want to do good work so that other people can, can enjoy the benefits of, of, having, of putting forward a good product and, and doing hard, good work in our community. When making decisions about their business, they don't only consider the impact of the bottom line, they also think about what's going to happen to their customers and the community that they create and to their employees as well. Ben and Rachel love 
the people that, that they hire. They really do. And, and they try their hardest to care about their employees and to create opportunities for these employees to learn and grow. And, and they're interested in their dreams and aspirations. I actually overheard Ben once talk about um, how one of the questions that he asks in interviews, is, it's not just what's your availability and, and what's your experience in food service. He asks them, what do you want to do with your life? What's your career? You know, what are you pursuing? And how can my company help you along that path. He wants to be sure that, that the environment he's creating for his employees actually contributes to their overall well-being and, and the places they want to go. Uh, living in a college town and running a small business in a college town means that you're going to spend two to four years building a person up, and maybe when they get to their peak efficiency and their, and their greatest professional level, it's time for them to move. And so Ben and Rachel know that they have to pour out, them, you know, pour their resources and pour their training into these people, and they love these people, and then they have to let them go. And that's a hard thing to face, and it creates frustration and anger, but it also creates for them an opportunity to not only bless their community, but the places that they, they see these people off to as they move on from Manhattan. They, they do all this work. They, they produce all this good work for the common good of Manhattan as well as the people that they bless with their business. The second story I want to share is that a, about a person that I won't name, uh, and whose work is, is not what we would normally think of or, or a call, probably call work. Part of my job here at Faith is to meet with people who find themselves in need of a little help paying rent or paying utilities or, or getting groceries until their next paycheck comes in. And our church uh, tries to step up and, and provide this help and this assistance through the Compassion Fund, which you all give to from time to time during the year. And I want to say thank you so much for that because that's a huge blessing to, to the people in this community and, and the work that we do here at this church. But while carrying, carrying out this responsibility, I, I was able to meet a woman who had contacted her church in need of help. And as I got to know her and, and talked with her, I, I learned that part of how she, how she makes it in life, part of, of, of where her income comes from, is that she receives financial assistance from the government. And so she has a debilitating chronic illness that really makes it pretty near impossible for her to, to get a job or to continuously go to a job. And so you might be wondering, well, if she's not working in the traditional sense, if she's receiving benefits from the government, what exactly makes her a good example of someone whose work blesses the community? This woman, who cannot get up and, and work a nine-to-five job like a lot of the rest of us, spends the best hours of her day praying for people. She's prayed for me. She's prayed for this church. She's thanked God for the work that we're able to do in the community, and she's recommended to her friends that people come here on Sundays. She prays for her family, too, when she tries to serve them the best that she can and, and be the best mom and be the best grandma that she can be, and she's a daily prayer warrior for the people she knows in the city that she lives in. She doesn't make any money, but I am eternally grateful for her work. And for anyone here today that, that also, for one reason or another, might be dependent on, on drawing some financial assistance from the government, I want you to know that I still believe that you are absolutely capable of doing incredible work. You can spend the best hours of your day doing worthwhile things. For some of you, that might mean focusing on getting healthy so that you can re-enter the traditional uh, workforce. For some of you, that might mean being a great neighbor and being the best encourager and the best supporter in your neighborhood and sharing smiles and words of affirmation with people that you know need to see a friendly face before they go off and engage their day. 
I know many people who no longer work in the traditional sense, but they actually provide free childcare for their family or their friends or their neighbors. And in this town, that is a tremendous blessing and an incredible way to work. Uh, maybe some of you also uh, pray each day for the well-being of your friends and your family in this city. All of that is good work. You may not be paid for it, but I am super grateful for every prayer and every kind word that you share in this community. A paycheck is not the only measure of your ability or the worth of your work. No matter what it is that you do for work, no matter what any of us here gathered today do for work, my hope and prayer is that you would go forth this week with the desire to bless the people that are around you in the city that we call home.